0: Okay, am I on? I guess I'm on. Sitting up here I mean back behind the speakers, so I can see where standing up there reading the songs, I can hear the music, but back here that's what I I wanted it back this way so we wouldn't get a lot of feedback. So that was good. Turn to the first Corinthians thirteen First Corinthians 13 and go down to verse 12. First Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face now we know in part but then shall we know even as also I have known. And now abide faith, hope And love. And these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love is James, Peter, and John. And it's nice to go back and go over all three of those. We have, I think, at least two or maybe three sermons that Daryl has done. Uh, Well, more than three, maybe about, (laughs) maybe about ten or twelve sermons. But they're well, very interesting. But it'd be a good thing to think about and take your time and and go over all three of those. But this evening I want us to look at and ask the question, what is love? What does love mean to you? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to everybody? I know it's mostly an emotion. And my children call me on the phone and say, "Dad, we love you um sometimes I wonder I, if I don't call them, I don't hear from them for months. So how much love do so it's an emotion it's its who I am their father, so there is that okay, I've got that kind of love for for you, Dad and but we tell that to each other too. We want to give each other a hug and and so uh, we love you, and you know, and that's important. But in John chapter three and verse sixteen, sixteen and seventeen, John three sixteen and seventeen says, "For God so loved the world." So here it is: God is saying His, He has love for this world. He loved this world that He He loved it. So much that he gave his only begotten son, that who would ever believe in him, his son, in Jesus Christ, as we call him now, we hope to say that God is with us, so we call him Emmanuel. So that we believe in him, we should not perish. You know, like an animal, when they die, they're gone are gone. But for us, we might not perish if we so love and follow and believe God, but have everlasting life, it says. For God sent not Christ into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him could be saved. That's God's love. He wants to save humanity. So we can say... As it says in first John four verse seven. First John four verse seven says, Beloved. Let us love one another. A command. So I said, you know, Faith, James, hope, first and second Peter, and love John, first, second, third John. So here in John four verse seven says, Beloved, let us love one another. So we should want to love each other, for love is of God. So if we love each other, that's what God wants from us. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not um, knows not God, because God, the definition of love, God is love. Well tonight, you know, it's a big big subject, huge subject. I want to cover tonight what is not love. Okay? I want to hit what is not love. As you turn the first you already should be there in first Corinthians thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen, we're going to start in verse one. First Corinthians 13, 1, What is not love? First Corinthians 13:1 says though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal either way one or the other it says if I speak that is um, strongs 2980 and it means to preach to say to speak or speak after." Talk, tell, utter. That's what it talks about when he says, if you speak, are you preaching? Are you saying? You're talking. It's compared to Strong's 3004, which means to ask, bid, boast, call, describe, give out, name, put forth, say, say, say on, show, speak, and tell. And So what it says there in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, though I speak. So it tells us what speaking is. In the words, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I've become like sounding brass. Well, sounding is Psalms 22 78. To make a loud noise. Or reverberate, so anybody that plays music, they know if they reverberate. It makes it carry and keep going and on and on. It also is a tinkling, a wail, shouts, complain, or argue loudly or verbally. So So it says, if, though I can speak with the tongues of men. Let's go to Samuel this time. 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Here's an incident that we probably all know. Here's David as a young man, a young boy, not a man, a young boy. He was probably not 20 because he wasn't in the military, even though his brothers were. His father told David, go out to the to where your brothers are. There was a battle going on between the Philistines and Israel. So Jesse sent David to see how his boys were doing. And so in verse 4 it says, And there were, uh, and there went out a campaign out of the camp of the Philistines, a champion out of the Philistines, named Goliath, whose height was six cubits, in a span he's a pretty tall guy I had a boy I knew boy a man I knew and known for many years come to the door this morning knock out of our door and I walked over to the door and I said oh I got a giant here because he's only six probably six six well here this guy this Goliath that David was going to go out there and confront was six cubits. I don't know whether a cubit is 18 inches or 24 inches. Pretty big guy. Verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the, uh, unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle array? I am a Philistine. You're, you servants of Saul, Choose you and man from, of you and let him come out and fight me. So here this guy is boasting. He's crying aloud. He's standing on one side of this valley and he's crying aloud. He's really putting it out there. They could hear him all across the valley. Verse 9. And he was able to uh, to fight with me and to kill me. Then we will be your servants. So he's boasting, we're gonna be your servants if he can, he got somebody that can whip me. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you'll be our servants. So let's get this battle going, uh, let's, let's end all this fighting. We're really, gonna be your servants, you're gonna be our servants. That doesn't happen, you know, that don't happen even today. And the Philistine said, I defy The armies of Israel this day, give me a man that may fight together. When Saul and all the Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly frightened. So he's boasting. He's got this big voice in my lifetime and 15 years in the church. I've known a lot of people that could really Speak good. They could, they could convince you to do just about anything. Very good speakers. Well, this Philistine was very powerful. And he cried a lot. Verse 14. And David was a young, a youngster, it says. He was just a little guy. And the three eldest brothers who served him were Saul. So here, David was just a little guy. He wasn't big, he was probably my size, five ten, five nine, something like that, <clears throat> and he was young. Verse sixteen, and the Philistines drew near morning and evening, and pre- presented himself forty days. So for forty days, this guy was crying aloud, boasting and talking and condemning Israel and condemning God. And David happened to come to the battle now. So here's 40 days have gone by. David comes to the battle. Verse 23. And as he uh, he was talking with them, uh, talking to the other soldiers, behold, there came up this champion, the Philistine uh, of Goliath, by name, out of the armies of the Philistine and spoke according to the same words and David heard them. So David... Heard this guy. Even though he was a small guy and they were quite a distance apart. But he heard this guy because he was a big talker. And I know you've heard these people before. So, 24, and all the men of this, um, oops, oops, uh, I read that. Um, and Saul said, so David puts on, uh, puts Goliath down. So we come to the point. So here, the people were afraid of him, but David wasn't afraid of him. He questioned this guy. He questioned the army. Why are you letting this guy do this to you? So David is going to put this guy down. So Saul said to David, "You are not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him." David said. I'll take him on, but Saul, who was head and shoulders over everybody else in Israel, said, "You can't do that. You're just a kid. So you're a youth, and this guy, he's been fighting all his life, and you're so small compared." Verse thirty-eight. And Saul armed David. So here Saul puts the armament that he has on David, and. It Tells you what it was, and David girds up the sword upon him and, and his armor, and he's a stranger he's going about, and he says, "I can't wear this. I've never proved them. I, it's not that he couldn't carry the stuff. It was probably way too big for Saul's armor, because arm, Saul was getting shoulders everybody. And David said to Saul, "I can't put these on, for I have not proved them." And David Put them off. So he took off the armament. So here he is, a shepherd boy. He's going to go out there and fight Goliath. Verse 40. And he took his staff, David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them into his shepherd's bag, which he had. Even the strap and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistines. And the Philistine came out, boasting like he'd been doing, hollering and, you know, so boastful, so proud, so strong. And he comes, the Philistine comes out and draws near David. And the man that bore uh, his shield and armor was before him. And the Philistine, this is what this guy thinks. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David. You now, he's a big guy, probably over ten feet tall. And he looks down and there's this kid. And he was disdained him. I mean, he fervently crushed, cursed him down. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and lovely and of a fair countenance. So here again we see Here's a boaster. I've been around these people. I've seen this before. They like to talk big. And they're powerful. And they put people down because they think that they can come up with all the words that you need. Verse 42-3. And the Philistine said to David, "I am I a dog? You know, you have to face this fact that this is a kid coming up against a giant who's been a fighter. And he is overwhelmed that they sent a kid out there. So am I a dog? he said. What you what you come to me with a stave? And the Philistine cursed David by his god, by the Philistine gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give you flesh of to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field, and David said back to the Philistine, "You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom I serve." That's a great statement. So he wasn't boasting, he wasn't loudly speaking, he just told the Philistines uh, this is the way it is. Hold your place there and go to Second Peter, Second Peter two. This is what Peter thinks of people like the Philistines, like Goliath. Second Peter two verse seventeen through twenty verse 17 through 18. These, Peter said, these are wells without water. So he's saying that this Philistine who can speak loudly, has all this ability to speak and can put people down. He said it's also like clouds without uh, that are carried about by the tempest to whom the midst of darkness is reserved Forever. For this Philistine, he's saying, Peter's saying, he's reserved for darkness forever. For when they speak swelling words of vanity, they lure through their lusts of the flesh, though much wantonness, these, uh, those that were clean escaped from them shall live in air. So here Peter looks at the Philistine is living in error because he thinks, because he can speak loud, he can put people down that he can take control of something. Back to Samuel. This time, verse 46. Samuel seventeen forty-six. This day, David said to Goliath, this day the eternal will deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you, and I will take your head from you, and I will give your carcass to the hosts of, uh, and, and I will give the ho- the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the feet of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. What happened? He took that stone, he swung it, and it hit the Philistine right between the eyes. And this giant man crashed on the ground and David took off his head. He got on his back, he cut his head off. And what happened? The Philistines fled because they looked at it, uh, we challenged the whole nation to have a man come out and they send the boy. Can you imagine this whole army sees this little kid take out their champion? If they think that they had to find a kid to take out their champion, what are the rest of them like? So we see this first verse in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Though I can speak with tongues of men, I have the power, the authority. I can speak like an angel. You know what how an angel sounded. If you go back to Exodus chapter twenty, when the angel spoke or God spoke from them from the mountain, the people were frightened because it was so loud and so powerful. So we see that Goliath was the sounding brass, but we also see that David was like a tinkling cymbal. So you don't have to be a loud speaker sometimes. What you have to do is you have to have godly love. So if you are the greatest speaker in the world, you're not conveying love. Because most of the speakers, most of the people that have that power to speak, they can convince people to do things that, you know, if they're great, and they're great, powerful speakers, they can convince you to do things you might not want to do. And they can stir up crowds. You know, they get out there even today, and they get out there and stir the crowds up and cause riots because they're great speakers. But they don't have love. So even though you're the greatest speaker, you're not. You don't have love if you're not with God. First Corinthians thirteen verse two. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. So, one thing that is not love is the greatest speakers in the world. You can be that greatest speaker. doesn't mean you have godly love. Chapter 13, verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, And I don't have godly love. I am nothing. So here is a person who knows prophecy. I've known people that and and been confronted by many people over the years who like to come up and tell you all about prophecy. We had a man in Houston many, many years ago. He could quote scripture. He knew The scriptures backward and Well, he didn't know them backward and forward. He could quote them backward and forward. It's like the fellow that when I was studying to have a speed reading. And this fellow gets this book, 500 pages. He does it in about half an hour. And he has the capacity, because of photographic mind, you could ask him, what's on page 30? About 55. What about 200? What about 438? And he could tell you the answers. Because he had a photographic memory. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't have godly love, it says. So here it says, if you have all that, if you can prophesy, people come up to me many times and try to impress me with their knowledge. They want to impress you how much they can tell you about the Scriptures. But do they have Godly love? Or do they understand these things? Maybe they understand mysteries. I I listen to different people on the uh, uh, television or or the the radio, I guess they are. Anyway, they they talk about God and talk about what's happening in the world today. And they can tell you these. The scriptures prophesy these things. They still don't love God. Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. So, even if they, under, they know prophecy, and if they think they understand knowledge and understand mysteries, and have all the faith, doesn't mean that they know what it means to love. Matthew 23, verse 4. Then spoke Jesus to the multitude and to the disciples and saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So he pointed it out. They're, they know the prophecies. They know them. They know the knowledge of Moses. And all, therefore, what they say, or they bid you to observe, that observe. So here Christ said, if they tell you these things about God, you do it. and But do not after their works, for they say and do not. So even though they know the Scriptures, even though they know prophecies, they don't live by them, he said. For they bide heavy burdens, verse 4, and grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves Will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, he's saying, I don't care how much you know if you don't live by what God says. In Deuteronomy 5 and verse, uh, I mean 6 and verse 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the eternal, your God is one God, and you are to love him. You know, it says, You are to love God. With all your heart and all your mind and all your body, all your being. But apparently, Christ pointed out that the scribes and Pharisees—they didn't do that. They didn't live by those things. I mean, verse twenty-three of chapter twenty, uh, Matthew twenty-three, verse twenty-three. Whoa, Christ said to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you pay tithes of knit, comers, and anners, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And these ought you to have done and not leave the others undone. What he's saying is, you don't love me. You you have all these do's and don'ts and, and that, but you don't love me. It's not it's not the kind of love that God is looking for. 24. You blind you blind guides, he said. You're blind people. You have all this knowledge and all this ability to give prophecy. Prophecy is teaching. That's one of the words when it says prophecy. It means teaching. Being able to teach others. So you blind guides, You strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. Because you want to be, you want to be a wannabe. You want to be the guy in charge. In my lifetime, I've seen this happen many times. The people will come up and really show you how much they really know Scripture. But it's, it's not a godly type of deal. They want to be known. They are trying to be the elder or the deacon or the leader. I mean, I've seen people here in this godly, ungodly community partners, uh, not here in, the, in our group, but I'm talking about people that have come here in times past who wanted to take over, who have said, I can do it better than God. They didn't say better than God. They said, I can do it better than Bell. But they're saying, I can do it better than God because God put the person here. God chose who he wants. So, they're like the scribes and the Pharisees. They're blind guides. They're wanting a position. They happen to be the one that thinks they know all the answers. In verse 25, it says, For you make... Uh, clean the outside of the cup. They make everybody think that they are the righteous people. Not too long ago, a person came in and tried to impress me with his knowledge, and tried to show me that he could probably teach the people here better than Daryl. Um, that's not godly love. That's self-righteous love. That's self-exaltation. Uh, he wants to say, I am great. So, he said, you make the outside of the cup clean and the platter, but within, they are full of extortion and excess. I said, I've been in this position where I've seen this happen. Verse 27. For, again, he's saying, you scribes and Pharisees, you are alike, Unto lighten sepulchres. You make yourself think I am so great. What is a sepulchre? It's a place where they put dead bodies. So you want to claim that you are something. You know all these things. But you don't live by that. You can know the knowledge. You can prophesy. You can do all those things. But are you living that way? That's what Christ is saying. You're like lightened sepulchres, which appears beautiful on the outside, but within are dead man's bones and unclean. So, what is the, the ability that you can go out there and understand prophecy? Does that make it make you loving? That you can go out there and tell everything that you understand? And try to force people to do it your way. And that's happened to me so many times over the years. Because I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a follower. and But doesn't mean that I follow everything they say. I just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. It's so bad that Christ was telling these through us, this whole chapter of 13, um, Christ put the scribes and Pharisees in their place. And he said to them, in verse 38, Behold, your house is left to you desolate. This is what God thinks, what Christ thinks of a person who says, I know all the prophecies. Just come to me. I can... I can explain it all to you. I know them all. I know all the answers. And Christ said to them, Behold, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Eternal. So it's so important to not only know the Scriptures, do you do them? That's what's important. So for the scribes and Pharisees who claimed to be the knowledge ones, when Christ told them, I going to really have nothing else to do with you. So all this knowledge, what did it do for them? What did it do for them? Well, all this ability to you know, walk there and preach to all these people. Chapter Matthew twenty four. Let's go on to verse chapter twenty four. In verse four. Chapter twenty four, verse four. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. This is important. It's important to realize that even though you have a person that can really speak and, and has a you know, Ability to uh, project his voice and reach out and, and show that I know all these scriptures. He says, Jesus said, take heed because there are people that can deceive you. Or many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. That's the people that claim they have the gift of prophecy. And Christ said, be weary of them. Verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise, Christ said, and shall deceive many. So he emphasized it twice in this chapter, that there are false prophets. And I've had people in my lifetime who've come up and claimed that they know the answers. I had a guy who used to call me once a week and tell me all kinds of things. And I said, please, Larry. I don't care. <laughs> he said, you don't know what you're talking about. It didn't matter. Verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. Christ said it is going to happen. We're in the last days now. They're going to come up and they are going to be false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they could deceive you, God's people, God's elect. He said, be careful. Watch out for these. Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 22 and 23. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many shall say to me in that day. Which day? This day in time. We're in those days now. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? So these people that can say, I know it all. I know the answers. I'm going to tell you them, I know prophecies. We, uh, we have, have we not prophesied in your name? And your name has cast out demons? And in your name done many wonderful works? But do you have godly love? And then I will profess unto them, these people that think they've got the answers, I don't know you. That will have to be a very, uh, the most hurtful thing you can ever hear from Christ. I don't know you. Depart from me. You that work iniquity. They don't work godly love. So even though you know these things, what is it? If you don't live by them. If you know the scriptures, if you know God's words, you're not living by them, then you don't know what love really is. First Corinthians thirteen verse three. I only got three points here, so this is the third point. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not godly love. It profits me nothing. You know, the rich person, uh, in, um, Fiddler on the Roof, he gets out there and says, the song, If I Only Were a Rich Man. Everybody would come to me and ask me all these questions and I could give them all the answers and they would hold me up in high esteem because I'm rich. I have all this money. What God thinks about that. Back again in Matthew. Chapter 6. This time. Matthew 6. In Matthew 6 it says. Verse 1. Matthew 6. 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men. So. A person that's giving money out. And they do it. And whether or not. I've been there there too. As a deacon in Fort Myers, I was in charge of collecting the offering and, and counting it. And there were people that would put a donation out there in an envelope and they put your name on the inside the envelope and on their check and they want to make sure you know that, hey, I gave a thousand dollars. They want to be known for what they do. They think that this is going to get them a position. And in times past, it did. Depending on where you were, who was the minister. If you could do something for him, you became the deacon. You became the elder. So he said, hey, Keith, that you don't do this in front of us. He said, you don't make everybody know that you're giving these out. This is what the scribes and Pharisees did. They made sure you know that they are giving things out. They're doing their charity before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which in heaven. He said, that is not godly love. Because you can give money. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not shout as a trumpet before men, and as the hypocrite do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be glorified by men. And verily I say unto you, they have reward. It says what they did. They do this for what? They want personal glory, not godly love. So they do this for personal glory. But when you do your alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall reward you. So here's a person, a lot of people have done this, who want godly respect. But God doesn't give them godly respect because God knows who you are. 23 verse 5. Back to Matthew, 20 verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men and they that they may boast their uh, their memory. I can't get it. Anyway. In the borders of their brothers. They want to they want to be known. They want to have the recognition. So here a person that has the ability to give a lot of money, he just wants to be known. Does God need your money? That's a question asked. What if he runs out of gold? For well, God to say, so I ran out of gold. <laughs> if I need more gold, I'll make it. He can do that. Luke 21. Luke 21. Does God look to how much money you have? Is God concerned that uh, you can give great donations? I remember back when the Tkach took over. And he was up in Alaska, and we were in St. Pete, and they said, we got to do better than the Alaskans, because Tkach really likes to see big offerings. And so they preached, and preached to give more money. In fact, they said, if you've got extra second tide, just dump that in, because we want to beat. Does God care how much money we can put in that we can beat the, the Alaskans because they have big incomes up there? And that's what they were preaching. Luke 21 verse 1. And Christ looking up and saw a rich man casting their, or the rich man casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in uh, two mites. Just a little bit. Now, these rich people have a lot of money. They can give a lot. The widow gave a little mite. And he said to them, Of a truth I say to you, that the poor widow has cast in more than them. So it wasn't the money aspect Because she didn't have the money. And he wasn't concerned about the money. He was concerned about the heart. And he said of a truth, the poor widow, more than them. Because she cast all she had. For these have of their abundance cast into the offering of God. But she, her punery, Has cast all of her living. She gave her heart, and they gave of their money. Nineteen, Matthew nineteen, Matthew nineteen, verse twenty one. Matthew nineteen, twenty one. Jesus said unto them, if you will be perfect, go talking to this rich man. Here he's talking to a rich guy. He has a lot of money. He wanted to know what he had to do to get into the kingdom of God. So he said, if you will be perfect, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. Get rid of everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Help people that need help. And you, shall have treasure in heaven. But it's too easy to want to have treasure here because we are tied to our money. And come and follow me. So get rid of everything and what? Love me. Do it my way. Do the way I do things. But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. Because their money is their God. Notice that you don't have to just write it down. Uh, Haggai 2 verse 8 says, The silver is mine. God says, The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Eternal. It all belongs to me anyway. So, why do I want your money? Do I need your money? It's all mine anyway. Again, in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof in the world, and they that dwell in there. So, God says, everything is mine anyhow. So, do I need your money? Is that Gonna show how much you love me because you can give me a lot of money? Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12. Psalm 50 verse 10 through 12. Christ again says, For every beast of the forest belongs to me. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. Can you give me a cow or two or three? They're mine anyway. So I don't need your sacrifices of cows. They're mine anyway. He said, I know all the fowls in the mountains and the wild beasts of the field. They're mine too. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't have to tell you about it. <laughs> the world is mine and the fullness thereof. So it doesn't make any difference how much we owe or own, or think we own, or how rich we are, or poor we are. That doesn't make any difference to God. What makes a difference to God is our heart. Acts, maybe this one I'm stretching a little bit, but I think it fits in. Acts four, verses thirty-four. Um, if this is this the one I want? No, no. I want to. I want to skip that one. Go to Acts 5. I'll rather do Acts 5. Acts 5. It's running out of time. Acts 5, verses 1 through 4, 11, and we'll, and we'll skip through part of this. But a certain man, so here is a time when the church, the new church that Christ started through the apostles after the day of Pentecost, they were struggling. So they were without money. And a certain, um, if you back it, in, in Acts 4, um, it tells why they were struggling. And it tells, like in 4 back 4 and 30, verse 36, it says, Joas, um, who was an apostle, was surnamed Barnabas, uh, the son of a constable, uh, a Levite, and of the country of Syria, Verse 37, having having land sold and brought the money and laid it to the fossil sea. So they were hurting and they asked to give all that they have to try to help so that people wouldn't starve to death. So they were in a pretty big struggle in their life. And so we come to Acts 5, verse 1. So here's another man who sold the property. A certain man named Ananias and Sapphira his wife sold a great possession. It's like today. You have a house and say it's worth a half a million dollars and you sold it. And say we needed to pool everything we had. That's what they were doing at that time. They were pooling all their, their abilities to help each other so they wouldn't starve to death. So here Ananias and Sapphira had this great possession. A possession maybe their house was worth just for Say was worth $500,000 uh, $500, and say so they sold it and they kept back part of it why why did they keep back part of it that's what you have to ask yourself that question and his wife was also pretty to this and they brought money and laid it at the uh, brought a certain part of it and laid it to Apostle C. So, that's okay. That's fine. You can keep it if, if it's yours. But they went up there and laid it there. So, you have to ask the question, what's the problem here? Because we see that there is a problem. So, Peter said to Ananias, why did he say this to Ananias? So Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? What did he say? He had to say something that questioned this. And kept back part of the price for the land. So Peter knew that he did this. It wasn't unknown, but apparently... They must have been boasting. I I would assume that they had told a lot of people. I gave a lot of money. We gave everything we had because this, because the other guy did, and he's an apostle. Maybe I can be an apostle too. So he said he had to be boasting. Maybe I'm stretching it too far. But there was a question. Why did Peter say, why did you lie to God's Spirit and kept back part of the money? And while it remained in your hands, he said, and after it was sold, was it not your own power? Why did you conceive the thing in your heart That you did lie unto men and to God. So apparently, he was letting people know that he gave everything. He died. His wife came in and they asked her the same thing, and she said, Yeah, this is what we did. And she died. So how did it work out for them? They could have kept the money. They could have said, hey, this is half of it. This is three quarters of it. This is a quarter of it. It would have been okay. So they must have said something down the line that other people in the congregation knew that they gave it all. They were looking for more than just giving money. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need us. So, it comes with the three points. This is not godly love. To go out there and... and uh, In verse 1, be the greatest speaker. If you think that being the greatest speaker in the world is going to make you... Have people think you are full of godly love because you want something for yourself. And though you are the most knowledgeable person in the world, does that do any good for you too? That you know all these things, but you don't live by them. And the third point of not really having or knowing what God's love is, is that you think you can buy your way into the kingdom of God. So, this first part of First Corinthians 13, the first three verses, all they are is saying, this is not how to have love. God wants us to love Him. Again, first. Corinthians, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 6, verses verse 5 and 6, I think it is. It says, hero Israel, God is one. He is the God. Christ is there with us. It is a godly family. And if you want to be a part of God's family, you have to really love with your mind, your mouth, your heart, your hands, your feet, You have to be all in it for God. That's godly love. And all the other stuff is not love. Thank you for coming.